0: Hi, Amanda. Hi, Kristen. Happy last Vault episode.
1: Oh, man. I, I appreciate these Vaults weeks.
0: <laughs> I know. And they've been so great inside the season of Reflection.
1: I agree. And there, I feel like we had just enough for now I'm ready to get back to, like, new ones.
0: And you know what's funny is that for the first, like, half of January, I've felt insanely overwhelmed. Right not ready for the new year and just like I feel like I'm literally like that person in the uh cartoons that like their whole body is on fire and they're just running around like (laughs) trying to like they never learned stop drop and roll (laughs) and now that like January is half over I feel like okay you know not like I have a handle on things but like just okay you know 2020 is happening, whether I'm ready for it or not. Like, 2019 was a dumpster fire. It looks like 2020 is going to be just like a multiple dumpsters chained together on fire. So we just literally have to roll with it.
1: It's also kind of stressful when you open up something on January 1st, like you did. So that might have been the reason. Yeah,
0: and and that's... You know, it's not, we didn't choose to make, okay, if you have a calendar, (laughs) it has to have a day that is the first day. Sure. And, you know, there's always going to be some stressors and tensions that happen with that. And I just feel like now 15 days in, that is gone. Right. I agree. And whether I was ready for it, and you know, even no matter what it, quote unquote, is, (laughs) you know, it is gone. The imaginative, you know, the the imagined, you know, I don't even know what it is.
1: I know what you mean. I, I feel like two weeks ago, I was like, thank God for Vault episodes. Like, I can't do something new right now. And like two weeks later, won't really change nothing. But I'm like, I'm ready now. Like, I don't know what it was, but I just feel... And we
0: also got all the wisdom from the past episodes. Like, and there were such important episodes.
1: Yeah, good ones.
0: And I think, like, this episode in particular might be my absolute favorite episode of all time. I know we talked about our favorite moments on the show, and I have, like, very soft spots for our alley episodes. Mm -hmm. They are like, I feel like they're like my babies Mm -hmm. and I love them and I wanted to bring them to the world as soon as I possibly could. I wanted to give them to everyone. But while this episode was happening, while we were talking to Lisa, as soon as we got off the episode with Lisa, my life was literally changed. And this had to be of episode episode. If you didn't listen to the episode the first time, you need to listen to it now. If you did listen to the episode once, you need to hear it again. If you've listened to the episode multiple times, great. Now you know that you get to hear it another time. You know how important it is. She is... Like, no matter what stage of artist, creative, person... Like, if you... Woke up this morning and just found out what crayons are, or if you've been, you know, watercoloring and gouaching for 45 years, there is something in this interview that is going to resonate so deeply with you that you just need to hear it.
1: I agree. I feel like it takes anybody to the next step. After you listen, you'll feel like, oh, this could be my next. Like, I feel like no matter what level, this is the next step up. Like, it'll help frame your mind for the next step, kind of.
0: I, yeah, and it, it's that 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 thing of when we talk to Allie and she talks about the uh, the spiral staircase mm-hmm. of like, you know, you're going to level up, and it might look the same, but you know, you are on the next level,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so no matter where you are on your journey this chat with Lisa is gonna level you up. And after our book club now, which is Big Dream's Daily Joys with Elise Blaha Kripe, we are reading Lisa's book.
1: Finding your artistic voice.
0: Which I'm so excited for because yeah. every single time I open a page it's just like magic, wisdom, everything. Encouragement.
1: And love.
0: And that's just me thinking about the things in my own head. I can't wait to have discussions and conversations. And it's just, I'm getting way too excited thinking about it. So let's leave you in the very capable hands of us and Lisa.
2: Hello, guys. (laughs) So excited to have you
1: on, everyone. Listeners, today we have fine artist and illustrator, Lisa Congdon on the show today. She's from Portland, Oregon, and best known for her colorful paintings and hand lettering, as if y'all didn't know, but I just felt like, in case you didn't. Um, yeah, and she's worked with clients from all over the globe and she's authored eight books, including The Starving Artist Myth Smashing Art Inc., which is the essential guide to building your career as an artist, and illustrated books such as The Joy of Swimming, which is my favorite, Obsessed. Thank you. Um, and just so happy. To have you here, I feel like you're the perfect fit for the crafty ass female because our our title kind of plays on you know being crafty and you are because you craft books and you craft art. But then the whole other side of crafty that we like to talk about in the podcast is just like being resourceful and as a woman living in the world today, you know solving problems and just kind of navigating through that. And I recently read um, the article from 99U Mm -hmm. that you did the interview, so good. I'm going to link to that so everyone can. hear your answers in that too, but you said there isn't one way to be an artist. And I love that idea because that's us being resourceful, trying to figure out the way that we can kind of be artists. So welcome. I love you so much. And then August 6th um, is your new book as well, Find Your Artistic Voice. So I just feel like let's go into everything. (laughs) Let's do it. (laughs) Yes. So so happy to have you. But all that was kind of right, right? Yeah, 100%. Cool. Cool. So tell us kind of Little bit more about you if you'd like and kind of how we got to this book. This is the eighth book, right? Yes. And
2: cool. thank you. Wow, how did I get here? Well,
1: <laughs> I mean, I
2: actually started out as a crafter. When I was I it's been almost 20 years, but when I was in my early 30s, I I just gone through a breakup and I was kind of like fell flat on my butt. Because I had been with the same person since I was in my early 20s, and I got out of this relationship, and at the same time, I also changed jobs. I went from being a school teacher to working in an office. So all of a sudden, like all of these things in my life changed—from uh, you know, being in a relationship to being single and alone for the first time in my adult life—to um, having a job that was less creative. Like teaching, I taught first grade. It was like every day I had to be super creative. And so I got pretty depressed, um, but in pretty short order, I found a therapist and I started sort of like working on figuring out who I was and what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And it's not like I woke up one morning and I said, "Um, I wanna be an artist now. But what I did know was that I had all this space in my life and immediately um, when I started the healing process of, you know, all the things that I was going through at the time, I called it my early midlife crisis Um, (laughs) because I wasn't really in midlife yet, but I was having a crisis. Um, I found that I had this really intense desire to be creative. So that's what I ended up filling all of the space and time that I had with. Um, So I was sewing, I was taking drawing and painting classes. I was making things, I was collaging. I set up this little spot on my dining room table in my apartment. And I just started exploring. And around the same time, the internet was becoming a space where like crafting and the DIY movement was starting. This was in the early 2000s. And I just kind of fell in love with it. And so I started a blog and I started posting pictures of the stuff I was making. I joined Flickr, (laughs) which I like to call like the original Instagram. Um, And I started meeting people and I started looking at what other people were making and I was like following the craft movement and I was starting to do craft shows and um, I I still had a full-time job um, but after a few years I started sort of slowly selling my work. I never ever at the time imagined that I could do what I do now or that I would do what I do now and actually at the time it wouldn't have been possible because all the things that helped my career like social media in the way that we know it now like didn't exist then so it was a long time ago. So anyway, um, I, I just sort of like gradually um, started putting my work out there more, working hard at becoming better. I kind of gave up sewing after a while and really focused on painting and drawing and illustration. And eventually I said, I think I can make a career move. And it wasn't overnight, it took years. Um, and I, I went part-time at my job I kept making stuff, I opened an Etsy shop. Um, I got a few little commissions here and there. I was having art shows in little venues in San Francisco. And then um, I eventually went full, full, full-time artist and it was a, a huge struggle for the first few years, but I was super determined and I felt um, super excited to make art in a way that I had never been excited to do anything in my life. So even though I was super poor and often very frustrated because I didn't know exactly what I was doing, um, I just kept at it. And then, you know, eventually I sort of became an expert at making money as an artist and like doing this thing, um, you know, professionally because I, because I didn't know what I was doing. I taught myself and I figured it out and, um, there weren't a lot of resources at the time and now. I can share what I learned with other people, which is one of the greatest joys of what I get to do now. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. I remember reading Art Inc. I, it seems like forever ago. Yeah.
2: It came out in 2014, which is like five years ago. But yeah, yeah. I just recorded the audio version a couple months ago for the first time. And, um, and I hadn't read it in a while. And I was like, some of this is actually like, Like, I got to update it a little bit, which was good, because, like, so much has changed in the last five years.
0: We talk a lot on this show about, because we get a lot of awesome artists on the show, artists and creatives, who talk a lot about, like, Internet 1.0. Right. Before, (laughs) you know, before social media. And it always is like, oh, yeah, you know, like, it made me feel less alone as an artist. And, like, I wasn't slamming my head against the wall for trying out all these things to make money
2: right well and I think the thing is like it first of all let's be clear even being a crafter which is like less sort of like people have less um there's less stigma around saying you're a crafter than saying you're an artist right because if you say you're an artist then it's like oh you know you're this thing and like people we have all these preconceived notions about what that means and actually that's so intimidating to people so they're like ah oh, the art world's feels mysterious. I wouldn't know how to make a dime from it. I mean, people can kind of wrap their heads around making utilitarian things for other people to use or decorative items, but people can't necessarily wrap their head around what it means to be an artist. And actually it's, or what it means to make money as an artist. And actually it's not that different than, than, you know, than making money, making anything else. Right. And so I, since I sort of figured that out, I wanted to demystify, um, some of the ways that you could, you know, in a very practical terms, without investing a ton of money, how you could start pulling together sources of income to, you know, to do this thing part-time or full-time. And, um, and that was all based on my own personal journey and experience. So it made it real for people. And I think it contextualized things in the book for folks as well, because I sort of partly tell my own story as I'm going along.
0: Yes. And it felt like for us millennials who got out of college and went right into the recession and needed side hustles to supplement our stuff. And it felt like this guide of like, you know, you've been there. This is what you did. This is what worked. Here are, you know, five other ideas and 10 other ideas. If you love this, keep going. And it was one of the first art slash business books that really made sense to me. I'm so glad it to hear that. It wasn't just yeah. like, I'm just trying to sell you things just to try to sell you things. Well, you know, it's so. Which is a lot of what you <laughs> see on like the internet, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, totally. And
2: it's so interesting because when I first wrote the book, it was like 20,000 words longer than what ended up getting published. And my editors, I had two editors, and they were both like, Lisa? you we need to edit this down and i was like but there's so much valuable information in here and they're like you're gonna overwhelm people like your audience's people are just starting out like just give them the basic simple information and then they'll take it from there like you need to sort of break it down so that it's not intimidating and um, we ended in we ended up editing the book and i remember feeling like ah. Uh, little nervous that the book was almost too simplistic and actually one of the most consistent compliments i get on the book is that it's it's broken down in this really simplistic way and it's really easy to sort of digest and put to use and uh and now that's like one of the things that i'm the most proud of even though i was terrified of it at first
1: That's interesting. You want to give everything you got to people, but sometimes it's too much. No, it is too much, and I needed my editors
2: to tell me that, you know, to to remind me. Art Inc. was the first book that I wrote. I had illustrated other books um, before that, but it was the first time I had ever worked on a book of that length, and that was the greatest lesson was, like, don't over-explain things. Um, Don't give people too much information. So...
0: I think that's amazing advice. I think that's advice that I constantly need. So, for everyone else out there, just take that. It's like too.
2: Tim Gunn on Project Runway says or used to say like edit, edit, edit. And yeah. I always think about that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's perfect. So you do a like you do a ton of teaching. And like even right now I feel like you're giving us so many teachable moments. Like you do Creative Live. You and like obviously wanted to have more in this book you have another book coming out which I want to talk about more does this come from being a teacher for 10 years
2: people ask me that have you always a lot yeah I mean I, I think I've I think that I chose teaching because um originally I think I felt like I chose teaching because I love kids but I realized later that I actually like delivering information and um I was talking to a friend last night who is also, she she's um, has a lot of classes on Skillshare. And we were talking about like why we like teaching. And there's this way that when you're kind of connecting with people around stuff that they're really interested in learning, um, this magical moment happens, right? And I mean, obviously a lot of teachers um, are teaching people who don't necessarily have an interest in what they're teaching and that's deflating. And I've also been in those situations a few times, <laughs> but you know, but when you're with people who are want to learn from you, um, and are sort of paying money to like engage with whatever it is that they think you can teach them, it, there's something really magical about that. And I get super energized by that. Even my, in my online classes where I'm not like technically talking to an audience, I'm talking to, you know, a, a camera. Um, I still kind of feel what I'm doing and I try to imagine what it's like for somebody who's sitting there watching me on their computer screen. Um, So I think there's something about like that connection or the, the spark that gets left that's exciting to me. Um, I also like speaking of breaking down information into um, like digestible bits, kind of like I did in art ink. I think that's something that I've gotten really good at. Like let's, you know, for example, on Creative Live, I have this class on time management. And when I was designing the class, it was really important to me to assume that there were people watching who had zero background in any kind of system for managing their time. And so that's where I started, like with really basic information. And um, we can't assume that everybody keeps a to-do list. We can't assume everyone has like a notebook where they write their things, you know? Um, and those kinds of basic tools are super, I don't know. I, I I love sharing that actually also when I'm teaching art, I love sort of breaking things down into their simplest forms and like talking people through the simplest parts of the, of the process. Because I think art is art in particular, super intimidating to people, um, who've never done it before, but want to do it. And if you break it down, it becomes less complicated and, um, So I've always loved teaching, and I've always loved that process, and, um, you know, every now and again, I'm stumped about how to explain something, (laughs) like anybody, Um, and that's hard in live teaching, too, when when you're teaching a live class, and somebody asks you a question that you don't know how to answer, that's tough, but, like, for me, most of the experience is really positive, and I love doing it
1: yeah how do you feel like does this ever happen where like you're teaching a, a class and you find that there are students that just want to make your art like do, you know what that mean like they, like maybe that's usually how it starts out but like how do you kind of default people away from like copying what you do and kind of
2: that's a really good question I have a whole series of classes on creative bug um, where I'm basically teaching um, you know painting and drawing and very much in my style because what else would I do, right? <laughs> and I remember after the first few classes came out, I was really um, having a lot of anxiety because I was seeing all this work. A lot of people took the classes. So I was seeing all this work out there that looked like mine. And um, two things happened. One, I had to let go of the sort of preciousness of my work. Um, and the more classes I recorded, the more I also was teaching stuff that felt... Um, more general or, or work that wasn't super current for me so that I could teach something authentic, but also if somebody did take it and go do something with it, it wasn't going to be the end of the world. Mm -hmm. I also talk a lot in my art classes about like taking things, your own direction, embracing your own wonkiness, like in actually trying hard not to make it look exactly like mine. I mean, copying is actually really good practice for making art. Um, this friend I was having dinner with last night was telling me that her first experience with drawing was in high school she used to copy other people's work and she seemed sort of embarrassed about this and I said we're both self-taught by the way and neither of us went to art school so we were kind of sharing our stories and I said "Um, actually you know that's how we learn is by copying and so there's a certain amount of permission I have to give people to copy my work I mean it's not okay ever to copy somebody's work and you know directly and you know sell sure. it or something but I also am not stupid I know that people are gonna copy my work and alter it a bit and then turn it into their own thing and it we're all influenced and that's part of what I talk about in my book on voice like we are artists because of other artists not despite other artists like we're artists because we're we're inspired by people and i know there are people who are inspired by my work and ultimately they're going to integrate what they learn from me or what they see that i do into their own work but the idea is that they they transform that eventually and we all do that i've done that with people i admire and you know sometimes we're better at it than other times <laughs> you know i've certainly in the past been called out for like oh that looks a lot like so and so's work or whatever right as much as i try to have my own voice um so Part of it is just ex- accepting, like, that's just reality. The people are going to, when they learn from you, they're going to to copy your work in a certain way. And part of it is encouraging people and emphasizing to, to your students that they really should embrace their own, you know, quirkiness and their own ideas. So,
1: Yeah. And we had Austin Kleon on the show and I remember something he said in a, in one of his books that was like, if you steal from one person, right. then it's like plagiarism. But if you steal, if you steal things from like a scene of artists that influence you and then it comes That's out, right. like then it his, isn't. So his I, books I steal it, like an
2: artist is like so amazing because it gives people permission to be influenced, but it talks about how to use that influence so that, you know, it becomes your own. And I talk about that in Find Your Artistic Voice, too. It's like, um, I say, one of the tips I give is, yeah, have many, many, you know, heroes and, and not just one. Right. Because the more of a mashup you make, the, the the sort of more your own or more different the work is going to be. I think that's such great advice. I love him.
0: so. I have a follow-up question to that. Your art... Well, let me start out by prefacing with the personal is political. So no matter what kind of art you make, it's always going to have a political statement. Your art, I think, makes the right kind of political statement, in my opinion. (laughs) Um, So when you are influencing all of these potential great artists and all of these people who want to be creative and all of these people who are going to be influenced by you and look up to you. Is that also in the back of your mind when you're creating art? Or is it just, this is what me, Lisa, has to say? You know, it's
2: interesting. I don't, it isn't necessarily my goal to influence people's political opinions. I understand that most people who follow me, like you, agree with my messages or find beauty or strength in them. I lost a lot of followers after the 2016 election, um, and that was actually okay with me. I I know there are some people who've stuck around, um, and there's new people who follow me all the time, right? and I'm not shy about saying what I think about things. And I don't necessarily know that I'm going to change people's mind on a sort of gigantic level. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, Absolutely. Like, I'm not going to necessarily convince somebody not to vote for Trump in 2020. However, I might change somebody's mind a little bit about, like, what it means to be a queer woman or what it means to be a feminist or um, you know, open somebody's mind up a little bit about like protecting trans kids or you know, like because these are some of the things I talk about. So absolutely. So it's like I don't necessarily wake up in the morning and say, I'm gonna try to change these people's minds. It's more that I have this voice and platform and I want to use it to talk about stuff that I care about in the world. And as a byproduct of that, if people's minds are changed a little bit or even a lot, that's awesome. But it's not necessarily the first thing I, I think about in some ways. That said, like that sort of politically, I also post a lot of stuff on like self-love and worthiness and self-care. I think in that way I am trying to influence people a little bit more. Like I do know there's a lot of people who follow me who have a lot of self, self-loathing self and who don't have boundaries in the way that they should in their lives. And like, these are all personal lessons that I've had to learn in the last 50 years. And I do know that I'm, I am influencing people more in that way. Um, And I am a little bit more intentional in that sort of, you know, because a lot of my artwork has messages, right? The political ones I put out there because I care about the issues and maybe I want to change some minds. But the, the, the other ones I think are, that are more personal, I think, um, are a little bit more strategic and they're because they're personal. Cause like I've been through these things. And so I, I feel like I can talk about them, um, in an authentic way. So, um, so l- probably a little bit of both.
0: So a little bit more internalized messaging to your audience instead of like externalized message. Right,
2: like you'll notice that I'll make a piece of art that says something like, I don't know, you know, um, give yourself a hug or something and, or, Something about, um, you know, self worth. I can't even. I'm my. Of course, like every time I'm interviewed, I'm trying to think of <laughs> Well,
1: it's always that day. I, can't, I
2: know I'm tired too. Um, but there's, but then I tell a story in the caption about my own personal experience with that thing. Not in hopefully in the vein of like I've figured this out, but this is something I struggle with too, and that gives people permission to know it's okay to not have it figured out Um, and that this is also something that somebody they might look up to is working on, which also might be encouraging to them to, to work on it too. I also think that sometimes, and I don't know about you too, but like I'll be scrolling through Instagram and I'll read something that somebody has said about their, about life or and it's revelatory. Like, I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so glad I saw that today. That like makes me feel so much better because I'm struggling with exactly the same thing. And that's one of the ways that I think social media can be so powerful. And if I can be part of that conversation um, myself and like make people's days better or make people realize that, you know, that um, they're, they're worthy just as they are, or, you know, whatever, whatever the thing is, like, my work is done, right? I mean, it's also great that I can make pictures that people think are beautiful or cute or whatever, but like, really, so much of the meaning that I get from my work comes from like, my interaction with my community online.
1: The whole time we've been having this conversation, I've been thinking about this thing that someone sent me that... And I don't even know if it's worthwhile to make the distinction, but something tells me that it is. She sent me something that said, "I don't think of you as an in, as an influencer. I think of you as like an impactor." Mm. And I don't know if that like I feel like that's kind of what you're saying. Like I feel like your art makes impact, and you don't want to influence an audience necessarily, but you want to leave an impact.
2: Right. I want me. I so, want. I think I. I was doing a written interview the other day, and um, somebody the person who interviewed me asked me, like, what, what, not what motivates you, but what, what inspires you to make work, and of course, like, all the usual things inspire me, like, color and shapes and all that stuff, but, like, really getting people to challenge their assumptions or to think about things differently or to open their mind, like, that's really what's the most important to me, the fact that I can make, images that people also want to you know consume or hang in their house or you know whatever put on stationery is great because it affords me a way to make a living but like all of that stuff feels gives extra meaning to my work and i don't sometimes people will label me an influencer um but i don't i don't do influencer marketing except in extremely rare circumstances so as you can imagine i get asked a lot to like I mean, just this morning, it was like a vitamin company. and and uh, I've chosen not to do that because I can make a living from my art, and I'd pr- rather keep it pure. And sometimes I will sort of promote things um, in very rare circumstances that are very aligned with my values and very like on you know on brand for me or whatever. Um, so I don't even think of myself as an influencer because i um, because I don't do social media influencing. So, but I really like the idea that I'm making an impact on people's lives, like more than influencing. So to whoever said that to you, thank you.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. it was Julie, Kristen. (laughs) Thanks, Julie. Shout out to Julie. (laughs) Yeah.
0: You know, I think that's really ties back into everything that you said before about how making art, making money from art is not all that different from making money as The only thing I've had in my head is welding, and I have absolutely no idea why. (laughs) But you have a service that you want to provide to people. This is the service, the service of, you know, you need an uplifting message. You know, life out there is, you know, shitty sometimes. And so Lisa makes things that are both pretty and serve to make you feel better about yourself because we can get through this. Right.
2: And that is a service that people need. Right. And I think that that's like, that's a, you know, it's, if you had interviewed me four years ago, I wouldn't necessarily have identified that. I was making some work that had messages um, a few years ago. I mean, it's really, this is kind of a new thing for me um, because I think sort of the ways in which the world is changing gave me agency and sort of motivation to do more of this kind of work. And um, and in some ways my career has really taken off. Like my Etsy shop makes probably double the sales that it did four years ago too, because I found this sweet spot between um, making beautiful pictures, but also embedding messages in them. And so I'm, whereas before I was it's sometimes struggling to know like what people wanted to buy and hang on their wall. And so, you know, it obviously benefits me financially. I also use that work to do fundraisers for causes that I care about and, you know, give, try to also give back to the community as well. So um, yeah, it's, I think that being an artist in the way that I'm an artist or in any, that any artist is an artist is like, is if you think about it in terms of service, that is a really interesting way to think about it. And that um, you're just trying to find something that's going to make somebody's day better or something that people actually need um, that's utilitarian. And there are plenty of things we can be creative with that people actually need to buy, you know? And you gotta find that, you know, that, it's like a Venn diagram. You gotta find the spot in the middle between, the stuff you're passionate about that you want to put out into the world and that kind of niche or that need in the market. And I happen to find a new one in the last few years and that that's awesome because I get to do the work I want to do and people are paying for it, which is great.
0: Yeah, that's really awesome. So one of the things that I've been super interested in watching you do over the years is the different collaborations that you found with super on brand, but also... Totally disparate groups, <laughs> corporations, the UN. How have some of these come about? Are these people who have reached out to you? Do you reach out to places? What has been your favorite, and what has oh. been, I would say, the most complicated?
2: <clears throat> one? Oh gosh, um, most of my work in the last six or seven years has come directly to me. I'm really lucky. I built this sort of social media platform. Um, so, a little backstory I'm building a new website right now, and my SEO on my current website is terrible. And part of the reason my SEO on my website is terrible is that I don't update my website. And guess why? Because Instagram is my website. Like, it's, I hate to say that. And I actually, it's bad because I, it needs, my website needs to be my website and which is why i'm having it rebuilt and i'm paying for seo and i'm like building a new e-commerce site i'm actually going to be leaving etsy to kind of like work run my own e-commerce site so anyway i i'm like part of okay so remind me your question i got off on a tangent you're asking me about collaborations oh yeah collaborations and how they come to me so Instagram, that is all to say that, like, Instagram is this place where in 2011 I joined and I had no idea at the time that it was going to become a space where essentially I was going to be posting every day images of my work and that hundreds of thousands of people were going to be following along. I had no clue. In fact, if you go back to 2011 to the first, like, year of my Instagram I'm hardly <laughs> posting art it's all pictures of my cats and dog and you know I'm using all the filters <laughs> as
1: you know we all as did. we
2: did <laughs> and um and then slowly I began to see how powerful it was yeah. and now my Instagram is all professional I do post personal stuff as we've been talking about because that's part of my brand um but I don't I can't even imagine my career without it and so so many people just in the last five years find me there like most of my more recent clients find me on instagram um every now and again i'll get a i'll get a referral from somebody who a company reached out to and that person couldn't take the illustration job so they they said oh but i know this person who's really awesome you should email her and so I do get some work through referrals still I would say the vast majority through Instagram and then a handful probably through random other you know people stumbling on me so it's like this sort of variety of ways um, that happen because of my social media presence Um, and you know early on in my career I was definitely doing more of the reaching out myself and like introducing myself to brands that I wanted to work with Um, and I have been really lucky, like Kristen said, like I have, you know, been, I've worked with, um, the UN and some other, you know, big nonprofit organizations. And a lot of those are pro bono jobs. Like I don't get paid for them. They're for causes. Um, in some ways that's the kind of work that I like doing the most. Um, and I do think that promoting your work as an artist is a really important balance between building your platform, putting work out there, the same kind of work that you want to get as an artist or the kind of work you want to sell, just continually putting it out there. And like, it's kind of like the, the movie Field of Dreams, like if you build it, they will come. And that was my motto for many years, like even when nothing was happening, I'm just going to keep building this thing that I want. I'm just going to keep building it. I'm just going to keep building it. I'm going to keep building it. And then eventually people started coming and then more people started coming and then it kind of feeds on itself. Simultaneously in the beginning, at least I was also forging relationships through email and like postcard promotions. And even in the early days when I used to use Twitter, I was like tweeting at my dream clients being like, I really want to work with you. And I got two jobs that way. So sometimes, you know, that kind of reaching out really works. Um, and I think eventually the goal is to get to the place where you get to be really choosy about who you work with and you're getting these like cool people wanting to work with you. Um, and I was really lucky that that eventually happened for me. And, uh, and that's actually really hard because I'm trying to take a break from client work so that I can do more personal work. Um, I'm kind of burned out and I also just haven't spent time in my studio just messing around and experimenting in a few years because I've been so busy and uh but I keep getting these you know oh we really want to work with you and I'm like ah how can I say no to this this is so (laughs) great so you know it's a good problem to have but yeah
1: (laughs) so it sounds like in a nutshell it's just like keeping yourself out there and like tiny little successes just build on each other
2: yeah and obviously you've got to like find the ways to pay your bills as you're on that journey. Um, and you got to say yes to a lot more than you say no to in the beginning. I mean, never in a way that compromises your values. I'm like very, very, um, I feel like that's super important, but like, don't work with a company that, you know, that doesn't align with the stuff that you believe in. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. I just think, yeah, like continuing to put yourself out there, being dogged about it, and then being really practical at the same time. And then eventually you sort of like hit this sweet spot where you're kind of, you know, I used to always um, fear that this was like the last email I was ever going to receive from anybody <laughs> ever wanting to work with me. And I it's hard for me to um, think about that now because I don't ever think that way anymore. Um, I have more confidence now that like my career is thriving and it's going to continue to thrive and I'm not going to sabotage it in any way. Um, but I used to fear that tremendously that I would either sabotage it in some way or that it was all going to go poof and disappear. And that's a, a very common fear that people in the first five years of their you know entrepreneurial careers, like it's a very real fear that people have. Um, and you do have to get to this place um, eventually where work is coming in and Well, you don't have to get there, but it's nice to get to a place where work is coming in and flowing to you so that you can kind of relax into it a little bit. And that eventually happened for me a few years ago. And it was kind of a relief because I used to feel stressed all the time about, you know, am I going to be able to do this forever? You know, I don't know. And now I definitely feel like I can.
0: It sounds like a lot of this advice is going to be in your upcoming book. Um, Yeah. Because a lot of it... like i read the amazon blurb and i'm loving this last sentence about appreciating the value of your personal journey yes because i think so many people again this is something that i literally need to hear right now so i know our listeners need to hear this and just hearing you talk right now about how you felt like maybe you would self-sabotage and like this is exactly the fear that i'm having right now so i'm like okay I'm definitely pre-ordering because I know I need to read this. <laughs> I know I need to hear this. And like, this is after having uh steal, like an artist and like that, ha- that being like one of my books that like when I'm in a crisis mode, I flip through because, okay, this is going to calm me down when I think that, okay, maybe things are not going so well. So can you tell us a little bit more about the wonderful advice you're going to give us on finding our voice? Yes. And uh, of course. And as a, as a creative artist. Yeah.
2: Um, So the book is, Divided into like seven sections, and the first section is really um, like, what is an artistic voice? Like, what do I even mean by that? And most of the time, what we think of voices is, is style, right? Like, that's the probably the most common synonym. But your voice is actually so much more than the style of your work. It's what you were just saying. It's actually like your story. It's your experience. It's your perspective, and it's based on how you were raised, your religion, your, even if none of that stuff comes through overtly in your work, like who you are is based on everything that made you who you are, you know, up until that moment. And your artistic style is a reflection of that. And um, so that's the first section. Second section is about like, why does having a voice matter? Why can't we just you know, make work that looks like other people's, or why can't we just copy things and sell them? Um, So a lot about, you know, your voice actually being your superpower, like um, to work professionally in the arts, you have to work really quickly and on fast deadlines often. You have to make work that stands out um, so that you have some sort of professional sustainability. Um, it may seem obvious why it's important to have your own artistic voice but i sort of break it down a little bit and then i talk about in the third section i talk about the path and by path i mean the creative path because your voice is totally shaped also by your you know perception of um, of your creative path and for a lot of people they perceive creativity as what scary as hell and um, super vulnerable and um, frightening. So making art, trying new things um, creatively can be really enjoyable, but we all, once, if we do it enough, we all hit those moments, right? Where we're like, this sucks. Is this good enough? I'm doing this wrong. This looks terrible. I'm not meant to do this you know, all the things we tell ourselves in every iteration. Um, And understanding that those twists and turns on the path are totally normal. Because the more we normalize those, um, the better. And in fact, they're necessary because they build grit and they actually make us go back the next day and make something better, you know. Um, They force us to reckon with um, things that we don't want to reckon with. So I talk about, like, what to expect on the creative path and understanding that even if you feel totally alone, it's completely normal. I also talk about navigating influence. Um, We were talking a little bit ago about Austin Kleon's book and so a lot of that chapter is a similar topic. You know, what does it mean to be influenced? Um, We're all influenced, everybody's influenced, so what does it mean to be influenced and and what does it mean to use your influence in a a smart way? And then, you know, I talk a lot about, um, you know, this whole idea of routine and practice. The only way you're going to find your voice is if you make a lot of work. And the only way to make a lot of work is to have a routine where you're practicing getting better at that thing that you show up and are dedicated. Um, The sixth section is about moving through fear. So exactly what you were talking about. Kristen, like this whole idea that um, we go through these intense periods of self-doubt. And again, the fact that that's totally normal and that we should use fear as an opportunity to learn and grow and, um, you know, make better work. Um, And then there's just a bunch of practical advice towards the end of the book about um speeding up the process you know that's what people want they ultimately people want um they want to find their voice sooner because the sooner you find your voice the more you know if you're an illustrator the sooner you're going to get clients you know if you're a fine artist the the sooner you're going to get your work in a gallery if you're um you know a traditional crafter the sooner you know you're going to be selling stuff online or wholesaling your work or whatever like there is um you know, there's a sense of urgency that people have about, you know, making this happen. And unfortunately, there's no magic bullet, but there are actually really practical things you can do to to get to a style and, a, you know, your own unique perspective faster than you would otherwise. And so I talk about those things at the end of the book. I mean, none of them are silver bullets, but they're all things that you can actually do.
0: Which is so much more important.
2: Yes. I like to get out of theoretical. I mean, I like talking in platitudes about things for sure. (laughs) I like talking about (laughs) theoretical things, but like I feel like nothing ever changes until you take action and you can actually do something. And um, the good news is that I always say if this book could be summarized in like one phrase, it would be, you know, show up, do the work, feel the fear, and do it anyway. So like, it's basically about showing up, practicing, devoting yourself to, to creating something beautiful or interesting or whatever your goal is and, um, you know, working through the fear and putting it out into the world and then continuing to get up every day and do that same thing over and over. And that's ultimately, you know, the life of an artist, but it's also sort of how you find your voice and then use that in the world.
1: Amazing. Pre-ordering it as soon as possible. <laughs> Do I smell a book club book? Yeah, no, absolutely. Please. This yeah, is going to be, be so absolutely fun. perfect for our fall book club. Where are you?
2: Where, yeah. where are you located? I know you're in different places.
0: I'm in mid Michigan, and Amanda's in the New York City,
2: okay, metropolitan okay. area. I am going on a book tour this fall. I'm not coming to Michigan, but I am hopefully coming to New York City in November. Oh
1: so. my gosh, that'd be so fun in November. Yeah. Maybe
0: my birthday. <laughs> You yeah, know, no, nobody comes to mid Michigan anymore. I used to live in in North Jersey, so now I live in the middle of nowhere and it's a wonderful uh culture shock. but now it's the, the cost of living here is so cheap I can't it's
2: it's just amazing well, and wonderful and I moved from San Francisco to, to Portland about four years ago, and I experienced the same thing like it's still the West coast, but it's like so much cheaper here and so much more. Less intense, more spacious. Mm -hmm. I mean it's still a city, but it's not like moving to a small town, but relatively speaking it feels that way sometimes and I'm loving it.
0: And well, this is a university town, so it's like kind of the best of it's like if someone had told me that like all American towns exist, I never would have believed them growing up in like North Jersey, (laughs) like, you know, there's a farmer's market on Sunday and you know, it's the tiny little blue bubble in a kind of purple state, um, even though Michigan has been like, the whole state of Michigan is angry that they voted for Trump and has been proving everybody wrong <laughs> since 2016. And they're like, we didn't do this. And I'm like, guys, we did. So it's just a wonderful place to live. Um, and I'm very surprised at how much I love it. That's awesome. But it is. It's really awesome. And it's one of the ways in which I've grown as a person. And that's the next question that I'm going to ask you is we've been asking everybody this season, what has uh, been one way that you've seen your career or your personal growth really impact your life?
2: You know, I was actually reflecting on this question today, not because I was reading um anything you guys sent me before we started recording um but more just sort of randomly and one of the things i'm noticing is that so i used to struggle with overwhelm a lot because as we've been discussing i do a lot of things i work with a lot of clients and take on a ton of projects um i'm on social media almost every day and i'm human so You know, just like for anybody else, like that experience sometimes makes me feel like I have to work all the time. Like I should cancel my plans with my friends tonight so that I can stay home and work or I should not go on that bike ride Saturday so I can stay home and work. And that has completely shifted for me. I am now fully bought into in a, like in a, in a real way, um, this idea that I need to have time away from work And that um, my life outside of my work is in service of my career, not a detriment to it. So I used to understand that in theory, but I wasn't necessarily practicing it. I was doing the like um, scarcity thing where I was like, uh, I don't have enough time, so I better just work all the time so that I can get this stuff done. And then it never bought me more time because I would just keep taking on more projects.
1: Right, so, that's so true. Yeah, right,
2: like it doesn't necessarily ever work that way. So A, I take on less projects now, I say no a lot. Um, and B, when I do get overwhelmed, like I am right now, like next week we have this vacation planned. And my wife also works in a job that's very demanding and she's going through a very stressful time and she was like, what if we canceled the second half of our vacation? Now we're just staying in Oregon. We're going camping. We're going to two different spots. So there was like part A and part B. And she said, what if we cancel part B? And she obviously really wanted to because she was feeling like she wasn't going to be able to get her work done. And I was like also feeling like I wasn't going to be able to get my work done. But I also know that that three days in the mountains is going to re-energize me in a way that staying home and working will not and that I need it and that I want it and that I'm looking forward to it and that we need it together in our relationship and that actually I'm probably going to come home and work more efficiently because I've been on vacation. And if I don't, I'm just going to be exhausted. And that's new for me, this like this like this very real valuing of and understanding the valuable impact of the time I spend away from work on the quality of my work when I'm doing it. And I never think I understood that before. And that is a huge area of personal growth for me that's been super recent that I'm seeing in real time, like every day now. And, and uh, and I and, you know, I'm a little panicked that, like, I'm going to need an extension on these books that I'm working on and that maybe we're going to have to push the pub back dates, you know out a season for one or two of them but but guess what oh well right life. that's life yeah. like I I don't want to look back on my life and be like yeah I published you know three books in one season but I had no life and I was miserable <laughs> you know I would rather take my time and quite honestly I'm working with like amazing editors who are like take the time you need it's going to be fine it, the book will get done when it gets done. We trust you to make good progress and, you know, you have to take care of yourself. And I, you know, so I, I have really no reason not to. And so, so, so that's been a huge, huge, huge shift for me recently. Yeah. I
0: think that's amazing. Thank
2: you. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> yeah, I'm really totally. excited about it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's, and, that's how you know it's real growth.
2: Right. Like I can feel it. Yeah. And before, if I had told you that I would have just been bullshitting you. So I convinced my wife that we should go on that second half of the vacation, by the Good. way. And Good. And she ultimately realized as we talked about it that that she needed it too. And now we're excited again. So, Awesome. That's the best news. Yes.
1: <laughs> Great answer. I can identify in a lot of ways. And I'm glad that you put words to it so fun okay are you ready to kind of wrap up this yeah episode yeah, yeah. currently round. yeah so we we do currently is based off kristen's currently card that she puts out on her website and people listening can get it at are you slash currently and then we just kind of converse about it on the podcast okay so here we go okay so what are you currently watching
2: gentleman jack Ooh, is it good it's so good okay
0: that's one next on my list then
1: Yes. People can see it on Netflix.
2: Yes. No. It's on. Um. Is it Netflix or Hulu? HBO. 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 Thank you. See, I have them all. Um. I love television. Yeah. No. It's. (laughs) It's. Yeah. It's a BBC slash HBO production. We
1: land on the one that's like, oh, this is on this. Yeah. 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 I know. I know.
2: Television. (laughs) & Jack is great. It's like a period piece from the eighteen thirties. Takes place in Great Britain, and that's about this, like, you know in today's terms we would call her butch lesbian who lives a very unconventional life and it's a true story based on somebody's diaries and it's so well done i love it
1: cool what are you you currently reading
2: i am reading a book called the librarian of auschwitz oh and it's about this 14 year old girl who's um lives in or is interned at Auschwitz concentration camp, and it's a true another true story. I, I obviously yeah. love true stories. <laughs> um, and she um, is in charge of like literally the five books at the concentration camp, which are she has to keep hidden from the guards because books are considered like dangerous, right? Because they spread ideas about nonconformity, and this is a true story about this. I'm only about halfway through, but about this young woman who who's, who's basically takes on this job of hiding the books, and um, it's riveting. And I, I just traveled to um, Europe, and I was in Amsterdam, Prague, and Berlin, and um, all three of those cities have, like, really rich history around the Holocaust, and that's what got me interested in, in reading the book.
1: That's amazing. Cool. What are you currently listening to?
2: Um, well, <laughs> I listen to so many audiobooks and podcasts. Is it okay for me to talk about that? Please. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, right now I'm listening to a book called Ninth Street Women, And it's about five painters from, like, the, you know, mid-century. Lee Krasner, Elaine de Kooning, Grace Hartigan, jo- Joan Mitchell, and I think Helen Frankenthaler. And – basically their role in changing the face of modern art and so the reason it's an important book is like those are stories like apparently and again i'm only about a third this book is huge and i'm only about a third way through the audiobook but they had a really huge role in in changing the face of modern art and yet their story hasn't been told because they're women um so the book is just like super fascinating and deeply researched and I'm a little obsessed with it.
0: That sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds really amazing. (laughs) What are you currently making?
2: I'm actually, the thing I'm most excited about right now is my garden.
0: Yes. What are you making in your garden? Tell us.
2: Well, we made beds like three or four years ago when we first moved into this house and we have a bit of property to play with and so it's not huge because it's in the middle of the city but enough and so we're this year we're going we always grow a lot of kale and lettuce we have carrots beets strawberries tomatoes peas i know i'm forgetting things um but i love having a garden and sometimes we have entire meals from our garden I love tending to the garden. Today it poured rain all day, which is also really unusual for summertime here. It rains a lot in Portland, but not necessarily in June. Um, And I'm really happy because I don't have to go water. (laughs) Because
1: even though I love tending
2: to my garden, watering is time consuming. So anyway, um, yeah, I love, like, planting something tiny and watching it completely explode. And It's the
0: most amazing thing.
2: Yeah, because, like, with water and the amount of sunshine we get all year round, like, things love it. Like, It's like the land of milk and honey here, so it's great.
0: It's the same thing about mid-Michigan, but the the produce we have here, and like we just did our CSA pickup today, like we have have a garden, but like also the CSA, it's just like before moving here, I never knew how good vegetables could taste.
2: Yeah, it's a similar climate because you guys get rain and like a lot of sun, and yeah, it's amazing, so...
1: And don't worry, I'm going p- to water my plants as soon as we're done <laughs> They're so, like, sad right now. Don't worry. Um, what are you currently feeling?
2: Um, I was reflecting on this today that I've been... I mean, I feel this every day, but gratitude. Um, I I am... Uh, you know, I, I spent a lot of my 20s and 30s, like, sad and confused. And I... Um, as much as I work really hard and sometimes get overwhelmed, you know, I'm like, I made a life for myself doing this thing that I love to do um, and getting to impact other people's lives as we were talking about. And I have this really beautiful relationship. um, And I just, I have a lot of gratitude for that. Um, You know, and the world is, you know, also, as we mentioned, kind of a shitty place right now. And I feel really lucky that I have this kind of, like, safety net. And, um, you know, I have a lot of friends and family and and an amazing life. And I'm super grateful for that.
1: That's really awesome. Thanks. Good answer. What are you currently planning? My
2: book tour. <laughs> <Yeah.
1: That's laughs> Kristen, exciting. you're going to have to visit New York in November. I, I know. see Lisa.
2: Well, and I'm slowly <laughs> – so the book tour is all booked, except <laughs> I'm still – trying to work out in New York is one of those places. I'm still trying to work out the venue. Um, and I'm working with somebody who's, you know, who's helping me. So, but yeah, um, I, the last book tour I went on, I hired someone to do it for me, like plan it. And, um, I decided to do it myself this time. And, (laughs) um, I (laughs) feel good because it's like more, I'm, I have more control. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, because I get to make the decisions and like all that but at the same time um, it is a lot of work and logistics and I'm constantly like making plane reservations and trying to figure out like if I can squeeze one, one more thing in and you know am I spending enough time at home versus traveling and so this is the longest book tra- tour I will have ever gone on I'm going to something like 13 cities, which like, compared to Austin Cleon is nothing. He goes on these really <laughs> long tours, but um, it's about all I can handle. And then I'll yeah, probably go more like places next year, but yeah.
1: Still crazy impressive.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Where <laughs> are you girl.
1: most excited to go to? Um,
2: Oh gosh, that's such an interesting question. I'm going to a lot of places that I've never been before. So I always do the usual West Coast places, but I'm also, this time I'm going to Columbus Pittsburgh, um, Jacksonville, Florida, not in this order, Um, Memphis, um, Atlanta. Yeah, so like a lot of places – oh, Salt Lake City. Like a lot of places that I haven't been on a book tour before or that aren't necessarily big cities like Boston or Chicago. I think that's what people expect you to do. Totally. And I chose to go to some smaller cities or cities that were slightly off the beaten path. Um, and some of that part of that decision was made by the fact that there were people from those places who reached out to me and were like, we want you here and I'm going to help you make that happen. Oh, Austin, Texas too. Yeah. So I'm going there. Um, yeah. So I'm also going to LA and Seattle and San Francisco and all those places in New York, but I'm going to all these other cities where I've never been before. And I think it's going to be really fun. So, um, you know, and I get to meet people that I've never met before too at those places.
0: That's really awesome. Is that this upcoming fall?
2: Yeah, so it's, my first stop is here, of course, in Portland on September 4th. And then I go to Salt Lake City on the 6th. And then I'll be publishing on my Instagram, like, all of my stops. Um, but it, it'll go September through November with some pockets of time where I'm back at home. And then some of the travel is actually, I'm speaking at conferences that aren't public book signings. Um, so I'm sort of, like, putting those in my schedule as well
1: that's awesome and And lastly oh oh don't go ahead amanda no i was gonna do the last thing on the list yeah do the last thing on the list sure (laughs) what are you currently loving (laughs) um
2: i love portland i'm like we were just talking about gardening here so i moved here four years ago and um you know when you move somewhere. I mean, you just went through this, Kristen. Like y- you, you have like it takes a while to get used to the place. Like even if you move there and you're like this is so cool, you still you miss your friends. You're like you don't know your way around. You don't necessarily have a sense of community or of place. You can't really appreciate yet all of the like ways that that place is amazing. And I lived in the same city for a really long time, and uh, in San Francisco, and. So moving here was awesome, but it was also, you know, kind of like threw our lives upside down for a period of time. I think on the surface, moves can seem really romantic and amazing, and they're often very stressful on couples and families, um, because change, right? And um, so I'm finally, after four years, just like like settling into my life here in a way that feels super comfortable and yet not boring either. Like, there's still totally. a lot to do here. I've made friends, I really like my friends, they've been around for a while. People are cool. Like, I have this, I actually opened a shop in my studio, which is another thing I'm loving. Um, like, I, it's only open two afternoons a week, but I open up my studio and sell things in the front. And, um, I love meeting people and I love having a space here that people can come and visit. And, um, I just really like life here, like, even today, it's June and it's pouring rain and i don't even care like i just i'm fine (laughs) makes it easier to work sometimes
1: (laughs) maybe we could talk more about your studio and after chatter yeah yeah let's do it that's definitely what i want to talk about yeah this has been
0: amazing you are
1: you're the best
0: oh thank you an amazing (laughs) woman of so much wisdom and you're just so much fun to talk to
2: I like to talk. Um sometimes <laughs> sadly. <laughs> sometimes I was I did a podcast interview a couple weeks ago with someone who was more traditional in the like ask the question, move the conversation along, sure. ask the next question. I think she wanted to get it done in 30 minutes. I think that's her shtick, right? Okay. And I went with it totally fine. Like she was a great interviewer. It was just less casual like what we're doing. Yeah. And I think she didn't know what to do with me for a minute there because I I will like literally go off on a tangent. So
1: we love
0: tangents. We we love tangents. My
2: my favorite podcasts are tangent podcasts anyway. So
0: Yeah. I think that you find the best gems when you kind of just dig deep. Yeah, totally. Exactly. This has been, this has been absolutely fabulous. Thank you so much for being on the show. And your book comes out August 6th, 6th. So, I'm pre-ordering as soon as I, I I literally have the Amazon page up, so I will, I will click my buttons because it is going to definitely be a book club book. I'm for sure for that. It's going to be required reading for my uh, feminist scrapbook book of me class. I'm sure of that. And I'm super pumped to read it myself. Thank you. So I'm really excited for that. I'm really excited to jump into after chatter. And if you guys want to check out Lisa and her Super coordinating outfit and wonderful background. You guys can pop over to after chatter with us. And my wilting plants. And Amanda's wilting plants. (laughs) But now she's off for the summer and she can water them every day. Uh, I am a teacher as well, Lisa. Ah. And her last day of school was yesterday. Oh, awesome. That's why I'm so smiling. Yeah. (laughs) It's true. Um, But we will be back next week with another possibly amazing guest. Possibly it'll be an Amanda show. Who knows? It's a surprise. (laughs) we will have we a surprise know. show for you next week it will be amazing because we love you and we want to bring you the best and most wonderful content because you guys are the most amazing audience and if you want to come and see the Crafty Ass Female After Chatter show with Lisa, come over to patreon.com slash female and for just $5 a month you can see what is it now, 65 videos? So many, oh, yeah, so many. Like, there's like 80 videos now we have 65 after chatters, book club video chats, we got All so much goods. content for you guys We love you, thank you for listening, and we will catch you next week. Bye guys.